ending up as David is being anointed by God after Saul has been rejected as king. And I don't know if you noticed it, but verse 15 says that uh, Saul's attendants said to him, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. One of the things that was happening to Saul is a spirit was tormenting his mind. So one moment he would be very calm and very peaceful. And when that evil spirit would come upon him, it would drive him crazy. He would go into fits of rage. He would start breaking stuff around the palace. He would take out uh, javelins and swords and spears and start throwing them at his loved ones, trying to kill people. It would be like a fit. Then he would go into sort of a depressed stupor, and then the spirit would leave, and it would happen with regularity. And the servants came to him during one of the times where Saul was, was having an okay day, you know. And they said, listen, there's something wrong with you. There's an evil spirit from God that's tormenting you. And we need to find someone that can play the lyrie. And when that spirit comes, he'll come in and play the lyrie and it'll make you feel better. Because they knew uh, in the Hebrew camps, they knew that when you were dealing with a mental problem that had a spirit attached to it, that praise would drive it out. That playing music to God upon a stringed instrument, that there was something about stringed instruments and music that would disturb the evil spirit. But what I wanted you to notice is the scripture says four times in the text that that evil spirit was from God. And many people get a little disturbed by the fact that it says the spirit evil spirit was from God and they want to know does God have you know a good side and an evil side and he sends an evil spirit from his evil side and it really doesn't mean that at all what it means is is that God allowed an evil spirit to attack Saul uh, there are evil spirits lying in wait at the gates wanting to target and attack all of us and overwhelm us, uh, possess us, harm us, destroy us. And the thing that keeps them back is, is God has a hedge. And the enemy can go no further. He cannot access any ground in our lives that God has a hedge. So God is keeping all of these evil spirits at bay. He's keeping them on a leash, as it were. So when it says an evil spirit from God attacked Saul, what it meant was for that one spirit, God just lifted the hedge. He let the dog off the chain. God allowed it. So what the text is doing, the text is refusing to give any credit to the enemy for attacking Saul. The text is giving glory to God who controls all spirits, who regulates all spiritual function in the earth. And the scripture says that the evil spirit was from God. It was allowed by God. Many times God will take what the enemy meant for evil and make evil his slave and make evil work for good to line up with his purpose. Point number one, champions class, you need to know this. When you are anointed, even evil works for your good. Ah, uh, yeah. I'm going to say it again. When you are anointed, even evil works for your good. Romans 8, 28 says that all things, 
work together for the good of them that love God and who are the called according to his purpose. And this revelation encourages us as Christians because when we encounter evil, many times we run. When we encounter evil, many times we think, well, that must not be the place for me. That's evil. Or when we encounter an evil person, many times we say, I can't work there. There's, there's an evil person there. Or there's evil in that region. Or there's evil in that company. And it's always not necessarily the case that the will of God will never put you in a place where there's evil. If you're encountering evil, it does not necessarily mean you need to give up that ground, turn tail, and run. Because sometimes God will make evil his employee and make the evil turn and work out in your favor and work for your good. It means if evil is allowed to access you in any area of your life, it's not a sign that God has failed you. It's not a sign that the devil is in control. Before the end of it, if God allows evil to come, he will ultimately make the evil turn and work for your good and for your benefit. Verse 16 says, Saul's attendant said to him, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants to search for someone who can play. And he'll play when the evil spirit comes and you will feel better. Point number two, never underestimate little opportunities. I'm going to give you time to write. This isn't a sermon. This is something for you to take and apply to the things that are going on in your life and for you to use to take elevating steps into what God is bringing you into. Never underestimate little opportunities. David has been anointed to be king by Samuel. But the first opportunity that comes from the palace, the first invitation that comes, is not to be king. It's not to serve on the cabinet. It's not to be one of the king's advisors. It's not to be in, the, in any kind of political position. The first invitation that comes is come be one of our heart players. Destiny needs an usher. Okay. Little opportunities can lead you to the door of destiny. Imagine if David would have got a big head when the oil of God fell on him and Samuel pronounced him the future king. Imagine if he would have been walking around with his kingly self and got that invitation to go to the palace and snubbed it because it was lower than his gifting are lower than his anointing. He would have forfeited the opportunity to get his foot in the door in the place that he would eventually own, in the place that he would eventually have dominion because he would have forfeited a little opportunity. Many times God's blessings come in the form of little opportunities. Most people think that David and Saul met when David came to kill Goliath. That is not true. David would have never been able to get an audience with Saul to ask him permission if he could go fight Goliath unless he had a previously established relationship. David would not have had a previously established relationship if he would not have accepted the little opportunity of going into the palace and being a heart player. David was anointed to be king at age 15. Now I want you to think about this. At age 15, David has no formal education, no military education, no political experience, no royalty in his blood. All he could do was play the harp. So look at God. 
God is allowing an evil spirit to torment Saul in the palace to create a position for David that they didn't need before. Your gift will make room for you if you allow God to bless you with little opportunities. Don't underestimate little opportunities. They're an usher for your destiny. They're an usher for your destiny. David, you know, you can get the anointing to do something or be something and not get the appointing for that for 15 years. David was anointed at 15. He was appointed at 30. Okay. There's a whole lot of practical experience and education and strength that you got to add to yourself in the space between the anointing and the appointing. So David was anointed to be king, but he doesn't know how to be a king. He needs a king to mentor him. He needs to sit in on staff meetings. He needs to sit in on the governance as it's going forth and his decisions are being made. He needs somebody who is a king to train him. But there's no way Saul's going to mentor David. There's no way he can walk up to the palace door and knock and say, hey, I was just anointed by God to be your future replacement. Would you teach me everything you know? No. God had to create a position in the palace for him, and he's doing it by stirring up this evil spirit to torment Saul so that they'll find a harp player, and David happens to be bad on the harp. So the little opportunity was a thing that led David to the thing. Don't miss a thing that can lead you to the thing. Verse 17, so Saul said to his attendants, find me someone who plays well. You, y'all say that I'm scaring you. You say I'm going through fits of rage. You say I'm losing it and you're worried about my mental health. You're telling me you want me to find a, a heart player to come in here and it'll make me feel better and it'll, do, it'll drive out the evil spirit. Go ahead. Go find me someone who plays well. Verse 18, one of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. It's so, so important, these two verses. Verse 17 brings out the fact that David, the shepherd boy, is invited to the palace because of Saul's tumultuous environment. Okay, David was invited only because there was a problem and there was trouble. Point number three, don't resent the resistance. If you don't have resistance at work, you're not going to know what I'm talking about. But if you've got resistance at work that is stressing you out, that is, that is making you shake your head, that makes you hate Monday mornings, and celebrate like it's Christmas every Friday evening or Saturday evening or whatever your last day is, then I want you to hear this. Don't resent the resistance. Please understand, God is using the evil, chaotic environment that Saul was dealing with to carve out a space for David's gift. How silly would it be for David to resent the fact that his work environment was full of problems? If there were no problems, there would have been no invitation for David. In fact, the problems were his job security. I want somebody to know 
the stress at work, the problems at work, the crazy you have to deal with work, that is actually why God put you there. You are empowered by God to deal with the crazy that is in your environment. In fact, for some of you, the crazy is your security. If there wasn't no crazy, they wouldn't need you. And you are the man for the job, and you are the woman for the job. You are in the right place. Don't look at the resistance and think, oh, Lord, it's just the devil all up in here. I'm going to leave here and go find me somewhere where there is no resistance. No. Christian's anointing works best where there is resistance. Our greatest strength comes out of our greatest struggle. Our greatest flow comes out of our greatest desert seasons and dryness. Don't resent the resistance. Some of you have been praying for conditions to get better, and you may be praying against the will of God. God may be using the adversity around you to create a special need for your gift. You got to be strong to thrive in the middle of a crazy environment. I don't know how many people that are in here that work in a crazy environment. I'll tell the cameras not to hit you right now, but if you work in a crazy environment, just give me a little finger wave right now. You got to be strong to work in a crazy environment. You got to be strong to deal with a bipolar boss. Think about the resistance David was going through. Saul would be happy, hugging on him one moment, telling him how good he was and how much he liked him, and then throwing javelins at him the next. Talk about resistance. But David knew it was the resistance that was the only reason he had a job. Don't resent the resistance. For some of you, it is why you are positioned where you are. And some of you got to learn to do like David. You got to learn to play the harp well, duck, and then keep on playing. You got to learn how to do what you do with excellence, sidestep the crazy, let them cuss, let them go wild, let them throw their chairs, let them act all foolish with people. You keep doing what you are doing because God puts you there for a reason. And before the end of this thing, he's going to bless you even in a crazy environment. Oh, give him praise if you believe it. Don't resent the resistance. Then Saul's servant in verse 18 said, I tell you what, you're looking for somebody to come in and play for you. I've seen somebody. Notice what he says about David. He said, I've seen a son of Jesse. Number one, he knows how to play the lyre. Number two, he's brave man. Number three, he's a warrior. Number four, he speaks well. Number five, he's a fine looking man. Questionable servant right there. Number six, and the Lord... He saw six things about David. And I want to ask you, David's 15 years old. His family hated him. He was the illegitimate child of one of his father's escapades. And they made him keep the sheep and live on the backside of the desert with the sheep. And I'm wondering, with a boy who's been trapped on the backside of the desert, how in, this wor how in the world did this man see all of these things about David? Number four. Excellence cannot remain unnoticed. Oh, I feel that one in my teeth. Excellence cannot remain unnoticed. Do whatever you do with excellence always. Oh, Jesus. Do whatever it is you do 
with excellence always because you never know who's watching. There are people watching your performance that you will never know about. Your life is full of voyeurs watching behind curtains. They'll never expose their identity, but somebody in a high place has their eye on you. So do what you do with excellence. Do not take shortcuts because excellence cannot remain unnoticed. A lot of times when you feel gifted, when you know you're gifted, when you know you're the one and you don't get noticed, a lot of times the temptation and the tendency is to pull back a little bit on the effort because you're so gifted, you don't have to put all of your effort into doing that job. You're so gifted, you don't have to put the sweat of true excellence of what you're really capable of into doing what you do. Why? Because you're gifted. And because you haven't been noticed yet, especially if you've been on the backside of the desert for a long time and hadn't been noticed, a lot of times you can fall into just going through the motions. But that's dangerous because you never know who's watching and you never know when someday is today. And if you will make a commitment to be excellent in every single thing you do, there's a promise in the word of God that excellence will not remain unnoticed. And then here's a side note. Don't limit your pursuit of excellence to your primary gift. Look at all the things Saul's attendant noticed about David and how excellent he was. Uh, go back to verse 18. Look at all the areas that David remained excellent. He said he knows how to play the lyre. That's the primary job description that we're looking for. And his primary skill set lines up with the position that we need. So you know, they, they say... Uh, to spend 80% of your dedicated time for development, they say to spend 80% on whatever your primary skill is, okay, to continue to get better at what you're good at. Because when you continue to get better at what you're good at, you end up being a master, and people pay more for masters, okay? But then you spend the other 20% developing the areas that you're not good at, okay? But, but look at what David's good at. He knows how to play the lyre. He's excellent at that. Number two, he's brave. This speaks to his character. This speaks to character development. He had talent development and musical development, but he had also put in some time on some character development. For some of you, it's not that you've been held back because of lack of talent. For some of you, you haven't put the necessary time in to develop the character. And as soon as you develop the character, the talent is already there, and the promotion's going to come and just sit on you. But he's, he's talented. He knows how to play the lyre. He's brave. He's got good character. He's a warrior. He knows how to fight. This one blows me away. He speaks well. He's a 15-year-old teenager. When's the last time you heard a 15-year-old that speaks well? This is a government official saying this to Saul, you understand. He's saying, that kid speaks well. And I wonder, who was he talking to? 
He had no relationship with his family, stuck out on the backside of the desert. Was he talking to the sheep, developing his vocabulary, working on his diction and enunciation? So that little line right there bothered me. That, a, that He said a 15-year-old speaks well. The, in the Hebrew, it means he's a good orator. When he opens his mouth, he has commanding communication. And you don't just get that, you know, has to be developed. So I started studying that. And this is a rabbit trail, but some of you may thank me later. He, he, he is well-spoken as an individual, and I wanted to know how. And then I found out that when David was a little boy, he memorized much of the Torah, much of the Scripture. And when you read a lot, reading sharpens your speaking. Now I want to tell you why. I want you to think about it for a second. When you speak, speaking is to externalize thoughts. Your words start out as, they start out as thoughts in your mind. When you speak, you are externalizing internal thoughts. So to speak is to externalize your thoughts. But to read is to internalize thoughts. So the more you read and the better you read, the better you speak. So my question is, you want to be promoted? What are you reading? This ain't shouting and crank up the organ time. Do you want things to develop in your life? What are you reading? Are you reading literature and materials that are considered uh, good books in your industry? Are you, are you reading for management if you're in management or you want to be in management? Are you reading for how to stay up to date with the, technolo the technological advances that are going on in whatever your field is? Are, are you reading? Are you putting time in reading articles, reading books, are you putting time in researching? Because you may be called to speak on something, and if you haven't read right, you won't be able to speak right. David was able to speak well because he had read well. And if you happen to be in here and you're a leader of anybody or anything, if you have employees underneath you, if you manage anything, and you are not reading, you cannot lead effectively without reading. You're doing yourself a disservice and the people that are underneath you if you are not reading. Get you some books and read them. What an anointed point. What a glory-filled point. What a shout-worthy point. Get you some books and read them. And then the next thing, and he's a fine-looking man. Okay. Now, some people chuckle, you know, it's, it's, it's a funny point, but I, I think it's worth mentioning here when it comes to success and when it comes to promotion and elevation. A lot of times, because of the weight of life in other areas, people let their appearance go. Oh, don't shout me down this morning. I can't hardly preach because you're shouting so loud. The strain with the kids, the strain with the spouse, the strain with the job, the strain with every other area, and it's like there's nothing left for you, and so you just let yourself. Don't do that. Don't do that. At whatever 
level that God blessed you with, try to maintain that at its highest level. Whatever cards you were dealt, shine those cards up. Keep them crisp. Display them the best you can. Okay? Amen. Amen. Invest in that nice makeup. It's going on your face. It's tight, but it's right. I'm okay. Y'all don't worry about it. If you don't know how to put it on, there are people all over the city desperate to teach you how. You can go make a small investment and change your appearance radically. They do this thing on social media like these people before and after makeup. It is scary. Like, how is that possible? How is that the same person? You know, invest in your appearance. It's worth it. It is worth it. Do not let yourself go. Don't, don't allow the comfort of late night eating and the comfort of not going to the gym or not taking a walk or the comfort of laziness and just wanting to numb yourself afterward. Don't allow that to creep up on you and grip you and bring you all the way down to where your health is suffering, your waistline is suffering, none of your clothes fit anymore. God did not intend that kind of life for you. Thank you, Christship, for your support. God wants you to be a champion, and you can't be a champion with a box of Krispy Kremes open mourning how bad your day went at work. God has called you to a higher life than that, and for some of you, the destiny that you're called to is going to demand that you run fast, and God knows you can't run right now. You are worth investing into yourself. Get a gym membership. I can't afford one. Walk around your neighborhood twice every evening. Get up 30 minutes earlier. Walk around it once every morning. There's something you can do. God gave you your body as a gift, and some of you have let the devil talk you into letting it totally go. Amen. Stop being ruled by the fork and learn to rule the fork in your hand. It will bless you. It will strengthen you. You will wake up and feel the anointing, and it's not even the anointing. You just lost 20 pounds. You feel good again. Amen. He's a fine-looking man. What I'm trying to tell you is do the best with what you've got. Whatever you've got. Take it to the max. Don't leave anything on the table. Amen. Don't get to the end of an opportunity or the end of a certain season in your life and look back and say, if I would have only maximized that moment in those lives. No. No. It's a gift. The age you are, it's a gift. The stage you are, it is a gift. Do you know how many people in nursing homes, how many people in hospital wards, how many people would look you in your eye and tell you, don't waste your life. Don't waste your opportunities. Don't waste what God has given you. Amen. So six things. He knew how to play. 
He's brave. He's a warrior. He speaks well. He's fine looking, number six, and the Lord is with him. Now, he didn't get the job just because he could play the lyre. Because there's a lot of people that can play the lyre. I don't know what you do at work, but let me discourage you. There's a lot of people that can do what you do. There's a lot of people that can play those drums. A lot of people. A lot of people. It's just that there's not a lot of people that can do it the way he does it. There's a look he gets in his eye that I just can't live without when he's playing the drums. There's a way he tosses his head that I just can't live without when he's playing the drums. My point is, it's not just because he can play the drums. It's everything else that he's got. Same that's true of him is true of you. David had to use everything that he had in order to maximize the opportunity and get a foot in the palace. So do you. And if you will stay in your commitment to excellence and use everything you got, then your excellence will not remain unnoticed. Look at, look at uh, verse 19. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is with the sheep. I want to tell everyone that's with the sheep right now. David being with the sheep meant that he was managing things that were lower than his anointing and his gift. If you were living in a job, living in an environment, if you were dealing with a vocation that is lesser than your talent and lesser than your anointing, you're with the sheep now. And I want to tell everyone with the sheep now, promotion is coming to you because excellence cannot remain unnoticed. That wave I told you about in the beginning of this service is crashing over your mind, giving you creative ideas, smearing something on you that's going to be attractive to your employer, or if you own your business, attractive to future clients. It's going to give you opportunities that you could not carve out yourself. You are blessed. You are a champion. You have something down on the inside of you that is valuable, that's a, a commodity worth trading. You deserve a raise. Oh, I like that. You deserve a bonus. You deserve elevation. You deserve more. God has brought you from a mighty long way, and he does not intend to leave you where he found you. In fact, I command you to prosper. I command you to be promoted. I command you to advance. I command you to dig deep and make this version of yourself the best it has ever been, and then walk in the blessing that corresponds with those things. Give God praise in the house if you receive it. Yeah, give him praise. You may have been ignored and rejected for the last five years, but promotion is about to hit you because excellence cannot remain unnoticed. The blessing of the Lord is about to hit your life because excellence cannot remain unnoticed. Verse 20. So Jesse took a donkey and loaded it with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat and sent them with his son, David, to Saul. Point number five, remember, reciprocity is an elevator. Reciprocity 
is an elevator. Now, most of the time in life, we have to take the stairs. Most of the time in life, you don't get a job that you don't qualify for. Whole, pe whole bunch of people in the Christian world have. But most of the time, you, you don't get to take the elevator. Most of the time, you have to take the stairs. But reciprocity will put an elevator in your life that allows you to bypass some steps that other people couldn't bypass. Let me show you the reciprocity in the text. Saul sends the servant, says, we want to hire your son David to come to the palace and to, and to uh, play the lyre for the king. And so Jesse, David's father, says, all right, we're going to send him. And uh, David's walking out the door and Jesse said, hold up, Bubba. Come here. Take this donkey. Take this skin of wine. And take this loaf of bread. And you take that to Saul. What Jesse is teaching David in this moment and what the scripture is teaching us is to have a spirit of reciprocity no matter what level you're on. Jesse told David, all right, Saul's going to bless you with a job. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go up there and you're going to thank him for giving you this job and you're going to thank him with a skin of wine, a loaf of bread, and this donkey. Now, if you're taking notes, are you just real bright-minded and you don't need to write down anything? Either one. Reciprocity is relative to your level. Okay? A lot of people don't operate in reciprocity because you can't bless someone else the way they blessed you. And you think, if I can't give them what they gave me, I'm not going to give them nothing. That's foolish. That's a poverty mindset reciprocity isn't I'm giving you what you gave me. Reciprocity is on the level that I can, I'm going to give something because I'm not a victim, I'm a champion. Now, now at our current levels, you're a higher level champion to me, but that doesn't mean you're a champion and that I'm not. On my own level with what I have. I can't bless you the way you bless me. But I can do something. Okay. So for business owners. You got clients that gave you some business. It is unheard of for people to send a handwritten thank you note today. Unheard of. Somebody use your businesses. Somebody use your services. Whatever. And you, you send them a handwritten thank you note. It will shock them. Shock them even more if you put a gift card in there to, for them to go have dinner. Okay. It's shocking for someone to be reciprocal. Somebody gives you something, does something great for you. Okay, You have an opportunity to reciprocate. You, you don't have to break, break the bank to do it. I mean, it, it won't car, it, it'll cost you less than a dollar and 30 cents to buy a thank you card and sit down and write something in it. It's the spirit of the gift, not the value of the gift. Last time you got a raise or a promotion, did you send your boss a thank you card? Did you send your, your supervisor a thank you card? And nothing crazy that can get you in trouble with human research. Just thank you for thinking of me. Thank you for trusting me. I'm going I'm to do my very best. I appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Little things. You got to understand, Saul's the king of Israel. Do you understand what a little thing, a donkey, a loaf of bread, 
and a skin of wine is? It's a, it's a little thing. But, but David walks up with bigness in his spirit because he realizes I'm a reciprocal person. I have a giving spirit. Okay. People that have struggled with poverty, struggle with, with just hard times in their finances for a long time. They turn to switch off in their minds and they don't have a giving spirit because they don't think they can afford to give. And it's a mindset that's a vicious cycle. It keeps you closed. It keeps you selfish. It keeps you small. When you have a reciprocal, generous, giving spirit, you say, on the level that I'm at. It's not about what you don't have. It's about what you do have. On the level that I'm at, I'm going to be a giver. This ties into tithing and giving offerings. What Bishop was doing up here in the first part of the service, that was the tithe. Do you know that God, through the tithe, never asks you for what you don't have? I don't care how broken you are in your finances. God never asks anybody for something that they don't have. What is the tithe? It's 10% of what you do have. Okay? Whatever money you got in that week, it's 10% of what you did get. He's not asking for something you didn't get. He's asking for what you do have. When we give God our offerings, we, we don't give God offerings on credit. We give God our offerings out of what we do have that we're willing to give to him. This is the principle David is teaching, and it's a principle that will cause prosperity to invade your life. It's a principle that will throw down a mentality of entitlement and a mentality of poverty. If you set yourself in your mind, I am a giver on every level. I know I'll be a giver on great financial levels because I've been a giver on low financial levels. I'm a reciprocal person. I'm a generous person. God can always trust me to move his blessing through me because I have a reciprocal generous spirit. It will break the power of low thinking. Poverty has less to do with income and more to do with thinking. Yeah, it has more to do with thinking. I, I heard one great financial advisor say, it's not what you make, it's what you manage. And so if the financial problem is a management problem, that means it's a thinking problem because there's something wrong in the thinking that's causing you to behave in a way that's not wise with your finances. And a great way to start knocking all those blocks down is to develop a reciprocal, generous spirit. Most of us would have received Saul's invitation and never thought about bringing him a gift because Saul's rich anyway. Some people think that way about God. They come to church and they never bring anything because they think God's rich anyway. He don't need it. Or they think the church is rich anyway. They don't need it. And, and that that problem, it's not going to affect the church whether you do it or not. The, the problem is that mindset affects you in a negative way. It keeps you shackled financially and it keeps your thoughts broken. There are certain thoughts, certain attitudes, certain doors that will never open in your thinking until a flood of generosity goes all the way through you. And I prophesy that that would hit you in this season. I prophesy a giving, reciprocal, generous spirit would overtake your mind and the blessing of the Lord would follow it in Jesus' name. Put your hands together and give God praise for it. Now, 
three quick, three quick takeaway points. Notice, well, before I get there, notice this. Verse uh, 20, he took a donkey, uh, bread and wine, a young goat, and sent them with David to give a gift to Saul. Verse 21, David came into Saul and entered his service, and Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his, one of his, one of his, wait a second. What did he start out as? Lyra player. That was what he was hired for. But then after he brought that gift, not only was he a Lyra player, now he's been promoted to being your gift will cause God to promote you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Your gift will cause promotion to come upon your life. He started out hourly. Play the lyre whenever I need you. Then he went to salary. I want you to be one of my armor bearers. Do you see the promotion there? How many people have been promoted recently in your job after sowing a seed? Just raise your hand if you've been promoted recently in your job. Look at that. Raise your hand a little, a little higher. Back there in the back. Over here. Up in the balcony. Look, over here. Over here, I'm looking for Justin. There he is. Justin just, just sowed a seed specifically for promotion. God took his gift and promoted him. David brings an offering. It was a pitiful offering to Saul. This is not about draining your bank account. He brings a pitiful offering to Saul, and Saul accepted it. Saul liked him. It brought him favor. Saul promoted him. Somebody that's hourly is about to go salary. I feel that. You're sitting in this section, and you're being paid hourly. You're about to get promoted. More money's coming, and you're going to be put on salary. Make sure you tell me when it happens. All right, next verse. Oh, next point. I'm going to give you three quick takeaways. I want you to notice immediately after Samuel poured that oil on David's head in verse 13, there over at Jesse's house over here, Samuel's anointing David in Jesse's house. And at the same time as the oil was falling out of the cruise onto David's head, over here in the palace, an evil spirit started tormenting Saul. Both came at the same time. In other words, David was anointed to deal with Saul's trouble. First takeaway point, God anoints you specifically for trouble. In fact, trouble activates your anointing. A great apostle that I know told me the anointing only comes when it's needed. It is trouble that activates your anointing. Real anointed Christians are at their best when problems are at their worst. 
If you believe in Jesus Christ and you have been saved, then the anointing of the Holy Spirit is upon you, and it becomes the strongest in your life when you encounter trouble. Wherever the trouble is in your life, if it's at your workplace, if it's in your home, if it's in your community, you are anointed to deal with the trouble. Raise your right hand and say, I am anointed for it. Say it again, more force. I am anointed for it. David was anointed to be the solution to Saul's problem. Stop praying your problems away and ask God to make you the solution. Oh, people don't like this kind of preaching. They want the problems just to lift. No, God's not going to do it like that. God is going to make you the solution to the problem you're praying about. If you've got a problem with your wife, husbands, begin to pray, Lord, make me the solution. Not that woman's crazy, Lord, fixed her dingbat mind. No, make me the solution. You got a problem with your children? Lord, make me the solution. Don't send a new solution. I'm here already. Make me the solution. You got a problem at your job? Lord, make me the solution. Before you go in the office Monday morning, sit in your car, close your eyes and bow your head and say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking you today to make me the solution to all this company's problems. Let your wisdom invade my mind and make me the solution. Solutions get raises. Solutions get bonuses. Solutions get extra time off. Solutions get benefits package. When you can become a solution, you become invaluable to your organization. So let's change the prayers. Less praying about the problem. More praying make me. In fact, raise up both your hands right now. Lord, make me the solution. Point, take away point number two. I'm almost done. Don't expect to be appreciated. Now, for all of you that have a big entitlement complex, you're going to hate this point. Chris is going to be the only one standing and clapping during this point. It's all right. For those of you struggling at work, to the point where work is affecting your emotions, okay? Understand this definition. Appreciation, somebody appreciating you, valuing who you are as a person. Appreciation, that's for personal relationships, not business arrangements. Allow the healthy relationships that are growing in your personal life with family and friends, allow those to satisfy your need to be appreciated and valued. Now, it's great if people at your job do appreciate you, but that's a bonus. Don't expect it. Because the expectation 
the feeling of entitlement that expects a pat on the back and an attaboy, and you did a great job. Thank you for being here for so long. We so love having you work here, or even just being basically kind to you. They're not required to do that. You know what's required? Them to pay you. And if they paid you, they did everything. I knew you wouldn't like it. I said, as long as they didn't break any laws and they paid you, they did everything they are required. So you walking around there with pout face on. Because people ain't kind to you. And you dragging it into your emotional life and letting stuff at work affect your personal self-esteem? That's not what that's for. That's there to pay you. And then, and then make sure, make sure that on the other side of it, that you do develop some relationships and some connections outside of work, okay? Because a lot of times, if work becomes your social circle, which it shouldn't really be, it's not for that, but for a lot of people it does. And so if work becomes your social support system and you lose your job, not only have you lost your job, you've lost your circle. So now you're missing the money and you're missing the emotional support that you got from being in the environment. It was never designed to be that. And a lot of people actually prefer those kind of relationships because they're relationships and they can supply certain things in your life, but they require less intimacy. They require us being less vulnerable. With family, there's vulnerability. There's intimacy. There's, there's people that know your stuff, you know, and can call you on your stuff. And, and sometimes other auxiliary relationships can be a little different than that. But it gets toxic when you walk around expecting work connections to feed your personal needs. And that can cause you more pain and more negativity and more Facebook rants. This is how David was able to remain unemotional when Saul was throwing spears at him. Somebody threw something... At us at work, we'd be gone. You understand what I'm saying? Or if the boss throws an attitude, somebody's gone. I've never had anybody in my life talk to me that way. You know, that's entitlement, okay? That, that, that's entitlement. Why do they look at me like this? Why do they treat me like this? Well, all, all that kind of stuff. David was able to sidestep all that. He kept his emotions out of all that. Because whatever storm you're going through emotionally, that's not my problem. I'm, I'm not here for that. I'm not, I'm not affected by that. I'm here to do my job, get my paycheck, and leave when I clock out. And people notice others. And that people will falsely think that you're an emotionally strong giant if you just keep your mouth shut. It's, it's the gift of silence. 
Proverbs says people will think you are smarter and stronger than you are the less you talk. I'm going to say it again. Somebody needs it. Proverbs, the word of God inspired divinely by the Holy Spirit who breathed through the anointed writers who were writing it said that if you will just keep your mouth shut, people will think you are smarter and stronger than you really are. Amen. But what do we do? We talk too much at work. We let it fly. We talk about our personal issues. We let our weaknesses air. We ventilate everything we're mad about. And what it does in the eyes of corporate people, what it does in the eyes of supervisors, is it lowers your value. Brings me to my final point. Seek opportunities to change the atmosphere without commenting on the problem. When there's problems at work and all the chicken heads get together and want to cluck. <laughs> just talking, 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 talking because you love to talk. I have seen some of the most gifted people talk themselves out of jobs. I mean, talk themselves out of jobs they had because they did not they did not have the gift of silence. In one, in one thing I did uh, at another church, I didn't want to do it at this one because it was a few years ago and I didn't know y'all that well yet. It's the gift of shut up. He had the gift of shut up. Okay, Do your job. Keep your mouth closed and your head down. Those things will bring you more increase and in blessing than you can shake a stick at. Because that same point, just like you, you want to be excellent all the time because you never know who's watching, you also never know who's listening. Okay. You always want to speak. Yeah, walls have ears, mama. You always want to speak in your workplace like... The CEO is listening, you know? You always want to deal with yourself. And even when you go out to lunch or you go on a lunch break, whether you're in the office or out of the office, you know, everybody seemingly today is connected to everybody else, you know? You can, you know, you can say, I was, I was talking about somebody one time that lives in North Carolina. I don't know how it got back to them, but it did. <laughs> I don't care because what I said was true. But point is... It, from, it got from San Antonio to North Carolina, you know. You just have no idea how this stuff travels. And you need that gift of employing with the wisdom to be silent will elevate you and promote you. Stand to your feet and give God a praise. That's the end of class. Look. Look. A lot of stuff... I could preach. I'm preaching this today because I believe as you watch your life over the next weeks and months, I believe, I believe opportunities for promotion and elevation are going to hit your life. I really do. I really do. And when that comes, it's got to be paired with the wisdom to manage it. You understand what I'm saying? The wisdom to manage it. I believe the anointing for greater the anointing for more, the anointing for more responsibility, the anointing, the anointing for more load on your gift 
has come into your life. And I want you to take the things that were taught today and let them marinate in your spirit. And then when you can, you have an opportunity to employ them and put them into practice. Let the word of God bless you. Let the word of God in the practical, more than just bless your spirit or bless your faith, let the word of God in a practical sense bless your life as it pertains to the workplace or as it pertains to your business or whatever, whatever you're into. I believe you're going to be blessed. Bow your heads all over the house. All that happened in David's life started because he was anointed. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ wasn't Jesus' last name. It was the pronouncement that the anointing of God was upon him. He was the walking embodiment of the anointing of God, the anointed one and his anointing. And when you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you accept him as your savior, that same anointing comes and lives in your heart. And it was the anointing of God that not only saved David, but it blessed David. It empowered him with wisdom in the workplace. It enabled him to do things other people couldn't do because the anointing was on him. I pray over every person right now in the name of Jesus. Pray with me, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe the gospel. I ask you to fill me with your spirit, to forgive me of my sin. Accept me in your family and I receive your anointing. I receive your salvation and I receive your blessing in the name of Jesus. Give the Lord a praise all over the house.